All right, I want us to start this morning in Psalm 118, verse 15. It's also great to have uh, the One Up gang here with us this morning. They're, they're sort of a bit scattered by the look of it, but anyway, great to have One Up here in church this morning. Psalm 118, verse 15, tells us this. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. Now, when we see that word camp of the godly, that means the house of God. That's the church, the, the gathering of believers who, who are the ones who, who love Jesus, who, who are Christian, basically. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. So that's us. We are a, a, a part of that godly camp. We call that church. But um, the most rewarding victory is bringing others to faith in Jesus. As you know, our theme this year has been victory. And the most rewarding victory that we can have, that we should be singing praise about in the camp of the godly, is bringing others to faith in Jesus. So that's a spiritual victory of the very highest kind. The very highest level of victory that we can ever see is someone going from no faith in God to faith in God. So the title of the message today is To Be Born Again. And I want to explain what that is this morning and um, why we use that term and where it came from. And I believe something's going to come alive in many people's hearts and awaken things in you that are going to spearhead this church into the future, into the plans that God has for us. So the concept of, of being born again was introduced by Jesus as the only way to enter the kingdom of God. The only way. So John chapter 3 verse 3 in the New Living Translation says this, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So when Jesus said, unless you are born again, it was completely new. It was a completely new concept for the Jews that he was talking to, to the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, the rabbis, the teachers, and he's talking to them about how to enter the kingdom of God. So with that, we don't understand it really in our context as, as uh, non-Jewish people and non-ancient Jews, I guess, but Jesus really confronted their belief. He got right in their uh, inner core and, and uh, it was confronting and it offended them deeply. They were put off, they were put out by what he had said. And so there was an instant reluctance for them to, to try and comprehend what Jesus was talking about. So we're going to look at the law. Now we, we hear a lot about this kind of stuff. If you're new to church, maybe I'll try and explain things as we go as best I can. So it may not really um, make a lot of sense, but hopefully uh, it will. For those of you who are um, mature Christians, you will understand what, where I'm coming from when we use these terms of law versus grace. But we're going to look at the law versus Jesus and then Jesus versus the law. So I'll explain it all to you. So um, we're not talking about the law when we go to court in Australia or, or you know, the, the, the authorities that we have in place in a modern context. We're talking about a religious law that the Jewish people live by. So the first point here is the law versus Jesus. So up to that point where Jesus was talking to these religious people, the Jews relied upon their law to get close to God. So the law was over 600 separate rules, including things that they must do and things that they must never do. So there's over 600, that's what they, they lived every day trying to fulfill all of these laws. So the Jewish law did not include you must be born again. It wasn't found in there. So their laws were, you do this, do that, do that, um, don't do this, don't go there, you know, all, the, all these do's and don'ts, which were 
the religious law that uh, they had to make their way towards God. So the Jewish law, when Jesus said, you must be born again, they're like, hey, what? Well, well, that's not in the law. We've studied the law. We know the law. We know every 600, however many there were, 612 or something, the lot. They're going, but that, that's not in there uh, to be born again. So it, it rocked their establishment. It rocked their understanding. They didn't understand it and they didn't want to believe it. So the Apostle Paul wrote a lot about the law versus Jesus, uh, a lot. So I really want to encourage you, if you want to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it is that we become born again, you need to understand what Paul wrote about the subject. So it is impossible in one message, one sermon, to explain to you all that it is because it's just massive. I'm going to, if we have a look on the screens there, the law versus Jesus is, this is just in one book, Galatians. Look at all the verses that relate to Jesus versus the law. It's huge. But uh, I'll read some of them out to you. Galatians 3 verse 5, and this is, I, I think it summarizes Paul's view on, the, on this subject. He says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message that you heard about Christ. Galatians 3 verse 11. It is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And I know as a young person trying to work out my way with God, I constantly felt like I didn't measure up because I could never be good enough. I could never live up to a standard that I, that I believed I needed to do so that God would accept me. But what Paul is saying is, is it is impossible to be able to do that, um, but it is through faith that we are made right with God. So Galatians 3 verse 19 and 22. Now I'm, just, I haven't, I'm not reading out the whole lot. I'm just giving you the highlight points here. 19 um, starts there. Why then was the law given? Good question. Why did we have the law that the Jews were living by? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised, which is Jesus. But the scripture de declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. So Galatians 5 verse 1 and this is Paul's advice to us about the law, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Now I think the important key that we need to realize here is Paul predominantly in the book of Galatians is, is, is writing to a group of people who weren't Jews. And somehow or other, these non-Jews weren't, weren't compelled to live by the Jewish law, but there were those who were saying, but hang on, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be right with God, then you have to have, you believe in Jesus and also believe in our law too. And that's what Paul was, was uh, um, uh, explaining against that you don't have to. So we've got to understand the intention of the Jewish law. Why did, why did they have it? And, and I'm going to explain that now. The intention of the Jewish law identified sin and was a temporary framework, so to speak, to manage sin until Jesus on the cross dealt with sin forever. So if we understand those principles, then we can understand our Christian faith and what it means to be born again where Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. So the law could not deliver a permanent solution for sin. It was a temporary 
thing because sin came into the world, wasn't God's plan, but God wanted to deal with it once and for all and he sent Jesus for that. So the second element I want us to look at this morning is Jesus versus the law. So John 3 verse 5, Jesus explains more about being born again. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. I said that really, Melbourne, water. Water. So water denotes baptism and spirit indicates God's intervention that makes the born-again experience possible. You know, the born-again experience is possible not because you're good enough or because you try hard. It's because Jesus did it. That's the, that's the, uh, the divine inter- interception of our life with God. So um, John 3 verse 7, I think in a, in a point that Jesus fortified his position, he said this, You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So Jesus was describing a spiritual birth that only comes from and through him. So where does the, the spiritual rebirth come from, this born-again experience? Does it come from us? No. Good answer. It comes from God. It comes from Jesus himself to us. I, I recall having a conversation with someone who made the statement, uh, and it went exactly like this. I don't mind Christians, but I can't stand those born-agains. It's like, hey, not wanting to disappoint anyone, but the only way to be a Christian is to be born again. So we need, to make, we need to have the clarification in our thinking, in our minds. You're not a Christian because you were born one. You're not a Christian because of the church tradition that you came from. So you might think that you are, but I want to I rattle your cage just like Jesus rattled the cage of the Jews and said, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's got to have a, a, a decision time in your life where you say, I, I um, are giving away my old life, my experience, my way, and I'm going to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior and have a born-again experience. So what Jesus has in mind for us isn't a sweep out every now and then. So when we think about you know, um, getting our life right with God, Jesus isn't saying, hey, let me come in once a week and I'll do a tidy up. Come to church and we'll do a quick tidy up. We'll just put things together. We'll sweep, we'll sweep the floor, we'll vacuum, we'll, we'll you know, clean the windows. You know, Jesus isn't doing that every now and then. But what Jesus offers every one of us is a transformation of our innermost parts. So, so we get a complete rework, a complete rebuild from the inside out. The old is gone and something new has started, something new has begun. So 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 and 15. Again, the Apostle Paul gives us so much clarity when it comes to spiritual uh, uh, awakenings that... Um, uh, I'm going to be drawing upon those a lot over the next few weeks. So this is what the Apostle Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. So it's not good enough just to say, well, I'm going to ask Jesus into my life because I think it's just a cool thing to do and I want to get a, a free ticket to heaven. Um, you don't want to, you, you, I don't think that is the, the, the aspect that God or was intending through Jesus to give us a born-again experience. It's to completely rework the parameters of our life. So um, he died for everyone, going back to the, to the scripture here. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. 
2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I think that's incredibly exciting and incredibly challenging. So the new life has a new reason, has a new purpose. I want to challenge your reason. So you might think, but I, I think I'm, I'm pretty good with God. I think everything's sorted with me and God, but I want to tell you something. When you know when you're born again, there's a reason change. There's a purpose change. There's a difference in the born again that compels them to live to serve Christ, to serve Jesus. So if you're thinking, hey, I want to be born again, but, but serve others, not me, God, skid marks all the way then I want to tell you something. You've got to, you have to come to a real point of evaluation in your life and say, Jesus, where are you really in the throne in my life? Now again, I don't want to disappoint anyone. I don't want to be confrontational, but sometimes we need to realize that, that our going to church, our, our uh, attendance at things doesn't mean we are born again. But I want us to, to be um, evaluating the, the innermost parts and say, while there is time, Lord, will you speak into my life? Will you change me? Will you do that, that, that born-again experience in my life? So live for Christ isn't a suggestion or a casual proposal. You know, sometimes you can have a proposal given to you, hey, have a look at this, give you some plans, I'll show you a book, show you the pictures, and you think, well, that's a nice proposal, but I don't have to do that. You know something, this, this born-again uh, experience isn't a casual proposal that, that thinks, hey, you know, you can take it or leave it. It's like, it's like a, um, an accessory. You know, sometimes I remember, um, you, you know, when I was a teenager discovering the accessories of life. I think, oh, the, life's got all these accessories. You can wear hats, you can wear, you can wear different clothes, you can wear fancy shoes, you can have cigarettes. Drink alcohol, they were the accessories. I was trying them all out. But you know what? The born-again experience isn't an accessory of life. It's a whole new life. It's a whole new power. So living for Christ isn't a suggestion or a casual, a casual proposal. Live for Christ is a call to your best life. If you could only grasp that, it's a call to your best life. It, it, it gets right into the very depths of you and starts to bring out the gold and the silver, the precious gems and the, the, the most important treasure that is you and it helps you to bring that out to serve God with. It's your best life. Be born again, live for Christ and discover your reason, discover your treasure because the treasure is buried by so many things in life that, that want to uh, keep that covered up, keep that um, not used for the purpose and the reason it was designed for. The reason it was designed for was to give it back to God. So the reason of every believer has this common rule. This is really important that we catch this. The reason of every believer has a common rule to reach those who are not born again. That's our common rule. That's our common reason is to reach the lost. So the reason of One Heart Church is to reach those who are not born again. So the reason why we have Bible college is to train people to reach the lost. The reason we do kids' church and kids' ministry is to reach the lost. The reason we have youth is to reach the lost. The reason we come together as a church is to equip ourselves to reach the lost. So we need to seek, seek that as the foremost and most important purpose that we have is to reach lost people. So when we come together as a corporate group like this, it's the presence of God. Like I said this morning, that le man with leprosy went to see Jesus. He was going there with expectation, thinking, if I could only get close to Jesus and if I talk to him, then, then he'll heal me. And there's, 
I believe there's people in the world who are seeking an invitation, seeking an opportunity to get close enough to Jesus and when they do, he will heal their innermost issues. I'm glad you're so excited. So all that we do has the goal of connecting people to Jesus. So every department, every ministry that we have, the common purpose and goal and reason because it connects our reason as a believer is to help people find their way to God, find their way to faith in Jesus. So 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11 says, it describes having a, a fearful responsibility to the Lord to work hard to persuade others. So persuade is a great word. It's a, a description uh, that I think is really important that we need to adapt and adopt in our own uh, experience when we're talking to people about our, our faith. It's one of the greatest things that we have to help others to see God is to explain our, our faith, explain what God's done in our lives. So um, it's, persuade means to give a sound reason so another may believe. So you've got to have a sound reason so others may believe. Um, persuasion requires sustained effort, consistency, loyalty, and grit, but it's worth it. I want to tell you that there's people who are in your world that need Jesus, but they may take a long time before they see him, before they understand him. My uncle, um, who, who, who's now, um, he's gone to be with the Lord, but he had a friend who was a hunting partner, and they would have been friends for well over 30 years. And they just used to go on hunting trips, used to you know, spend time at each other's houses, having barbecues and all this kind of stuff. Well, my uncle's friend, Joe, after probably 30 years of relationship and friendship, finally, after being witnessed to for all those years, gave his life to Jesus one day. And I think that's, that was because there wasn't a... Well, unless you're listening to me, unless you are, are willing to, to um, uh, agree with this straight away right now, then, then I'm not going to spend any time with you. That's a, that's a, a, a bad outcome. But... Uh, it's like building bridges. Building bridges takes time. It's sinking pylons into riverbeds. Uh, sometimes they may get washed away, but eventually there's a road that crosses over that river into people, that, that, that other people can cross over. And uh, we've got to be building bridges into people's lives so that they eventually can cross over on a, on a, you know, a, a, a roadway across the river and meet Jesus for themselves. So don't give up in the bridge building with, your peop- with people in your life. So persuade is a great word. It's much better than argue because you can win an argument but lose future opportunities to, to-, to talk further with someone and you want to keep the door open. You want to keep building the bridges so every conversation you think is, is another pylon closer, is, a- is another day closer and we've got to be wise in that, we've got to be gentle in that and we have to be, uh, we have to be willing to continue to live an example of Christ to others. So 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18 and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal to others through us. Is that, is that amazing? Is that amazing? Is that, see, you've got to realize, so you might be thinking, well, why am I in church? Why am I here? Oh, the preaching didn't do anything for me. Oh, the worship didn't do anything for me. No, it's not about that. It's about what are you doing? It says, Christ, it, God is making his appeal to others through us. So God is making his appeal to your neighbor through you, to your cousin through you, to your hunting buddy through you, to your fishing friends through you. So you have an important reason for being here. 
So, and it goes on to say, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So we have, a, we have an incredible um, uh, appointment by God to be his spokespeople to the world. And I think it's just so totally, you know, amazing. We, we often think, well, why did Jesus choose 12 disciples? And think, well, that, that seems like such a strange way to change the world. And yet God uses a church now for the same purpose. It's amazing. Our place, your place, is to persuade people to be uh, to the born-again life, to that born-again experience. And it happens all the time. So one of the things that I want us to do more and more uh, in this church is to hear people's stories of their born-again experience. So it happens. It's real. There are so many people here in this church who came from don't even know God. It's a fairy tale to I now believe in God and I had a born-again change, life change. We're going to have that one of those people right now and that's uh, Guy Kelly and he's going to tell us his story of the born-again experience that happened in his life. So we're going to welcome Guy right now. Hello everyone, my name's Guy and I get a quick minute, which I'll set, to just share with you uh, a bit of my testimony. So growing up, I grew up in a non-Christian household. We had Catholic relatives, which uh, we, I went, last time I went to church with them was when I was in, about seven years old and Christmas service went for about seven hours and I was like, not doing this. This ain't fun. I'm too hungry for this. So yeah, I uh, lived my life as a teenager on the wild side, uh, just having a great time with the boys. And I'd look back now and I definitely notice that this is where my sort of, my backslide in life sort of began. And it was like, I was always uh, grabbing onto anything and everything and trying to find substance in it and find myself in it. Um, whether that was work, whether that was hobbies that I would change every two months because it wasn't fulfilling and I didn't know why, but I obviously do now. Um, but yeah, I, I was constantly finding things to try and fill this this hole I knew I had in, in me that nothing could fill. And it was after high school, I finished, I uh, you know, had a job, I was trying to find myself in what I was doing so I was just I was diving at the time and I'd dive before work I'd dive after work I'd dive for work and it's all I was it's all I would do because I was like this is this is what I do for the rest of my life all right sweet this is it for the next 20 30 40 years and then I lost that job and I didn't know what to do didn't know who I was I, did, I, I found everything in myself I was getting out of what I was doing, not knowing who I was or knowing God. And so I oh, don't like, so I basically met some people that I sort of knew in high school and I don't like calling them bad people. They were just in a bad situation as well. And we all started doing drugs and going out every weekend and I probably took it a bit more serious than everyone else, I think. And I was addicted to so many drugs. I just couldn't live without it. It was where I I put all of my hope and my purpose 
into that, the feeling of the high, of the rush, of being with friends. And that was the only way I've sort of felt loved or fulfilled or that I had a purpose in the things around me. I, I never found it in something bigger. And I thought that, you know, is this it for the rest of my life, you know? So I started getting really depressed. Um, you know, I was going out every single weekend, like a Friday night, a Saturday night, a Sunday night, Thursday nights. Like, that was my life. I'd work and I would just go out and just run amok. And, you know, it was, it was having big effects on my body. I was in and out of hospital a couple times because, you know, I wasn't eating. I, I remember sitting in a hospital bed trying to eat because I literally hadn't eaten for however long that I, it felt weird to chew food. Like, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, but forgetting the first thing you basically learn to do in life is pretty weird. Um, and, you know, I ended up, it got that bad that I ended up overdosing in Adelaide out in front of a nightclub at like 3.30 in the morning. Uh, the last thing I remember is I got a foot from the ground and I was out. I don't even remember hitting the ground. I just woke up the next morning at 10 o'clock in ICU at the hospital and just doctors and nurses telling me that whatever you're doing, you need to turn your life around, like you need to stop this. And so I remember about a week later, I... I rang my mum and I said, mum, I need help. And just hearing her just go, like that sigh of relief after like absolutely breaking down every relationship I had with my family. For her to hear that come out of my mouth must have been the biggest relief. I heard it in her voice. And she flew straight over to Adelaide that day, picked me up, took me to my nana's house. I started detoxing for a week. Um, And we went on this journey of ringing every rehab in Australia to try and get me in and there was no way I was going to get in for at least up to eight weeks and I just said to my mom I said that's too long I can't wait that long like I'll I'll be back out doing whatever I want in two weeks because I just can't I can't do this anymore like and you know I was heavily depressed I was suicidal I was just struggling every day just didn't want to have to do it anymore like no self-value like you know, it's not the right way to live. And um, we ended up just, like, I was giving up. I thought that that was it. I wasn't going to get into a rehab. And then we found this rehab that was here in South Australia, three hours drive from Adelaide. And it was a one of the very, very few still solely Christian-run uh, rehabs. And I was like, oh, okay, sounds cool. Yeah, we'll give them a call. And they, we rang them and they said, sure, when do you want to come down? We can have you here this week if you want. And I was just so relieved, like, just to feel that, you know, I'm going to go get better. And knowing that it was a Christian-based program, and I was like, well, I've never really been around Christians, but from what I understand, like, they're all nice people. They want the best for you. They're loving. They're caring. And, like, I remember driving in there and I got out of the car and it had to have been God because I just felt the last four years of my life lift off my shoulders in a single moment. And I just went on the biggest journey there. We, you know, we were up every morning at seven o'clock doing devotions, go to work, come back in church every weekend. We had a church at the actual rehab and it was, it was amazing. And to see the things that God did to, for me while I was there, I gave my life to the Lord there. I was baptized there in half a tank at 
nine o'clock in the morning in the middle of winter in the southeast. That's cold. They filled it up the night before. <laughs> oh, I'm, I, was jump, I took one foot in there. I was, I'm meeting the Lord one way or another today. Ooh. But um, yeah, I'll never forget my baptism. And, uh, you know, I ended up meeting Pastor Dave Helliard there, which was just one of the biggest blessings of my life. That's how I got connected with this church. We came over here. I wouldn't know this church if it wasn't for him. And, you know, I just remember so many times, like, God just moved in my life while I was there. Um, You know, just being away from society for seven months with just some people who are trying to get better like you and God is just, I mean, if I could live my life like that every day, it's much simpler and it's a lot nicer. No phones, no nothing, just that. And, you know, I had God there, you know, speak. I heard, we saw miracles there. Um, You know, we had a light shine out of the sky over the church for a whole day there. And the neighbors were ringing up going, what's going on over there? And we didn't know. It was just, we were in church the whole day. This, like, just the presence of God was just moving all day. It was unreal. And I was completely turned around there. Like my life just, I, I reformed all the bonds with my family. You know, I had God speaking to me every day just in a personal relationship. And, you know, it's healed me so much. And I still walk that journey every day where I wake up and I thank God for what he's done for me. From where I've come to, to here now, you know, the, the other alternative, and I say this a lot, is I, if I wasn't here right now and I hadn't gone to rehab, I think I probably would be dead by now. Like, if not, I would be pretty close to it. And, you know, I couldn't have done any of this without God. Like, I stand here now, you know, from someone who couldn't hold down a job to now holding a full-time job down for three to four years, to someone who's involved in the church, you know, I'm married now. Come on, like, but without God, I'd be nothing, you know, I haven't done all this on my own strength, you know, this has all been through, you know, the path and the plan and the journey with God, and there's been a lot of hard times, and there'll be a lot of hard times to come, and I now know, though, that I'm set free from those things. When I need my strength, I know where to go, you know. I know God's there every day just just waiting for me to just go, yeah, I can't do this bit again. Like, I, I need your help. And, yeah, I just, oh, I guess I want to thank as well. I'd love to thank everyone in here for just being positive role model for me as well. Everyone in here is just amazing. And God's just just working in my life amazingly. And uh, I just pray that, yeah. That if you can take something out of my story is, I guess, don't run a mark, kids. <laughs> Listen to your parents, trust me. And, uh, yeah, I just thank you, Pastor Rob, for this opportunity. And I hope if, yeah, if anything, you have all just maybe got a little something out of this. So thank you. It's one thing I never get tired of hearing people's stories of what God does in their lives. So that's that complete born again experience has happened there. And we've got 
a whole room full of people who've had similar experiences and we're going to be hearing from them uh, over and over again over the next year and hear people's stories of where they came from and where they are today. So I just want to give you three core elements of what it is to be born again and then we're going to give people an opportunity here this morning to, uh, to do that themselves. Romans 3 verse 22 to 26 says this, We are all sinners made right with God by faith in Jesus. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved. John 1 verse 12 to 13 says, To those who believed and accepted him are born again. And I want to give people an opportunity every time we come together to uh, make that connection with God in their own life, to be born again. So if that's you this morning, why don't we just stand together as a church and uh, stand with expectation that uh, God is going to do something. Perhaps this message has been a little bit confronting to perhaps to someone here because you may have felt like, but I was okay because I was born in church. My family was all Christian. But somewhere along the line, you missed the point of a born-again experience. There's no guilt or shame in that today because you have an opportunity right now to say, Jesus, I want that experience. God, I don't want you to uh, just do a clean-out once a week. I want to be transformed in my innermost being so that I'm a new person. I literally sense that freshness of life of being born again. So we we have a prayer that we pray here just to make that connection easier if we can have that up on the screen right now that would be great and I'm going to ask you to pray this with me this morning we all just pray it together dear Jesus I believe you are the son of God that you died on the cross and rose again to forgive my sins I ask that you forgive me I give you my life and I invite you to be my Lord and Savior today I am born again I trust my future into your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you've prayed that prayer this morning and you really sense that you want to make that connection with heaven, you want to make that connection with God, you want to step into a born-again life, then we'd love to speak with you and pray with you and encourage you along that journey. So you can come and see me or one of our other pastors today and we'd love to help you, I guess, cement that into your life. Thanks for coming out this morning. Um, and uh, being part of One Heart Church. And I just really believe that we are set on a, a reset in our church. A lot of people are talking these days about the world's being reset by this stuff that's going on. Well, I believe it's a time for our church, despite that stuff, take that out of it. It's time for the church to reset its priorities, reset its passion, reset our purpose, and that is to reach the lost and to be the light that the world needs. So God bless you, church. Great to have you on that journey with us this morning. And thanks, Kirsten. She's going to finish things off for us today.